everyone. Welcome to episode 41 of the Passion Effect podcast. I'm your host, Jack Pittman. My guest on today's episode is Chanel Contos. She's Australian consent activist. Chanel became globally recognized in 2021 following an outpouring of responses to a request for young Australian women to share their experiences of sexual assault on her Instagram poll. Chanel Contos is leading a movement to mandate consent education across New South Wales and hopefully in Australia. And Chanel's story is proof that no dream or goal is too big when you believe in what you are standing for. And today on the podcast, Chanel is here to chat about her experiences with consent education, the problem with current consent education, and what we can do to improve consent education and culture here in Australia. And if these conversations do raise any issues, then contact 1-800-RESPECT for support and help regarding sexual assault. Please join me in welcoming my guest today, Chanel Contos. Chanel, welcome to the Pashpec podcast. Really excited to have you here. Thanks so much, Jack. It's nice to to be here. I just wanted to start the podcast interview by going back to that moment when you posted that Instagram poll. And obviously you received a lot of attention for that. What was your reason behind posting the poll? And what did you make of the reaction from people? Probably three pivotal leading events that led me to posting the poll. Um, The first one happened like ages ago in 2020, where... I found out that the same person who sexually assaulted me had also sexually assaulted a friend of mine a year later. And then me and my friend just started having like a conversation about, you know, this kind of like teen perpetrated sexual assault. And we just seemed to have endless stories to tell each other. And that was the first moment when I collected the first few testimonies. That was in like May, 2020, but I didn't do it on social media. I just like texted my friends. And I also only had the intention of ever showing these testimonies to kind of like my old school principles and the principles of neighboring schools and stuff like that and then I would say the second pivotal moment was during my master's degree and my degree was in gender education and international development and we did a week where we learned about sexual coercion in the school environment and there were lots of people from low-income countries on my course and someone in my group was telling like the group task was to like use your context to relate to the readings about sexual coercion in an educational space and someone in my group said basically that in their youth um, virginity testing was part of their schooling experience you basically get your hymen checked to check your hymen is still intact so teachers usually put their things inside of you sometimes male teachers to check that you still have a hymen which is a quite dehumanizing experience in my opinion and is and then I said but when I was reading what sexual coercion was I feel like me and my school friends got sexually coerced like every weekend and then I kind of started like describing the environment and what it would be like when we would go out and stuff like that and everyone in the pool was just like that is not like that's really weird and I was like oh okay it seems like it seems to be like a bigger issue in um in this setting fast forward to February 2021 one of my closest friends from like childhood and teen years told me about another sexual assault experience that I never knew about and then we were also talking about how they had had a sexual assault experience that witnessed and stopped when we were teenagers we were just furious like we were just like so angry and then initially we were I was gonna post the names of the boys (laughs) thank god I didn't and then my flat my flatmate who's another one of my best friends was just like I think you should make it more broad and then that's how it started so I posted the Instagram poll very spontaneously one one night I like left my uni class early because I couldn't concentrate because I was so angry and frustrated about this thing and then yeah what was the media spotlight and exposure like 
how did you find that whole experience? Because I, I imagine it would have been a very busy time in your life. Yeah, it was chaotic. I didn't sleep for like a few days, mainly because I was posting testimonies for like the first few days straight. Once the media started, it didn't stop for like literally months. And yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I'd never done a single interview, podcast, TV show, live TV, like anything. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but it worked out, <laughs> I think. And looking through those testimonies, as, as you sort of mentioned, there seemed to be a lot of these experiences happening to younger women perpetrated by, by males. And I'm just wondering, were there any common themes or observations that became apparent to you whilst you were reading these horrifying testimonies? Because some of them were yeah. pretty hard to read. So it became really evident that like sexual coercion is kind of, I would say, the main way that sexual assault is perpetrated. You know, more often than not, it's convincing manipulation, guilt, blackmail, even rather than kind of explicit acts of violence. When force is used, it tends to be quite minimal physical force, but enough physical force to scare the victim, if that makes sense, like kind of like physical pushing or something like that. I also noticed that oral sex was a massive reoccurring theme. Um, I don't think in 10 years students understand that oral sex counts as rape. And yeah, that came up time and time again. Victim blaming was a common fear. So many people in the testimonies added, you know, like when I told people this is what I experienced afterwards, people mentioned that, you know, they were slut shamed for their sexual experiences and alcohol came up a lot. Often alcohol was involved. And yeah, often it was no secret that the event happened. It was just kind of a delayed realisation that it was sexual assault. And the unfortunate thing about all this, as, as we sort of already, I guess, kind of alluded to, is that a lot of these people committing these crimes and even the victims themselves didn't know what definitions of consent meant and didn't realise yeah. that they'd been sexually assaulted, which, which shows that there's a clear problem there and consent education could really help solve that issue. I'm just wondering inspired you to take it from a petition to lobby for New South Wales government because that would have been a lot of work like how did you get that started that whole website mm -hmm. how did you get the whole process underway so originally the originally the like petition was on a google doc and then I like woke up one morning and it was just like chaotic like it was just so many people on it at once and like it just didn't so I like took down the Google Docs and then a friend whose name's also Jack actually messaged me and was like, you need a website. And he was like, I'll build it for you. Like give me a few days. And then I think he and um, his friend Sophie just worked like nonstop for a few days and kind of like came back to me being like, here it is. And just like did the whole thing. And I was like, thank you. And then since then we've gotten web developers to kind of like redo it, but that was, that was an amazing temporary solution while that happened. I remember hitting 500 signatures in like, honestly, I think hours and being like, oh, sweet, we're done. <laughs> like being like, surely like my old school's not going to ignore this. Like I was like, oh, sounds good. And then they just like kept coming. And then the testimonies were coming in like faster than I could physically read them. I, I always wanted to have some sort of like petition among Eastern Suburbs schools in Sydney. And then when I realized that testimonies were coming in far beyond that, I then expanded it to New South Wales and then expanded it to Australia-wide and then also launched an official New South Wales petition in Parliament. What sort of reactions were young men having when they heard about these issues? What sort of conversations or things have you had? It was a variety of things. I think a lot of young men were shocked. I think a lot of young men felt lots of guilt because it's pretty hard to have grown up in Australia and not been a bystander to this 
situation and that's not just boys it's people of all genders um but I think people socialize as boys who tend to have friends who it's pretty hard to not think back on a story of being like remember you know my friend's cat calling at the bus stop so I think there was lots of like reflection and guilt there was obviously some anger as well like I was getting some like horrible messages as well like but also lots of really amazing reflective messages of young boys just being like kind of like I didn't understand and now I did or I'm shocked how can I help or I've had a conversation with my um, girlfriend or my sister or my like whatever my mom and like you know my perspective on this has changed so I think that like if anything it really opened up conversations which I think probably has made an impact in a very individual scale for people which is nice. Must be quite interesting when you know people realize they've been sexually assaulted and maybe even confront their rapists later on in the future that would be quite a I guess scary thing to do also empowering in in a way as well yeah I mean it depends on the reaction it depends how you feel about the reaction like a lot of people did tell me about them confronting their rapists some people told me about them confronting multiple rapists and like the different reaction they got from like multiple people some of which was apology um that they said gave them lots of like closure and made them feel a lot better about the situation and then like someone's denial which I personally have not contacted mine in this whole situation Mm. so yeah so what can young men, what can we do to be a part of the change and help reshape consent culture as we know it currently? Boys and young men have like a very, a very strong role in what they can do with that. And I mean, it is literally just as simple as taking the time to reflect on your own actions in the past. And, you know, you don't need to feel ashamed of them because as I said, everyone's been a bystander to rape culture, including me. Like I've, I've allowed someone to catcall me without thinking anything of it taking the time to reflect and understand like what's normal to us and what's not and why and then tell your friends that they can hold you accountable like send a clear message to everyone that it's okay to catch you up on something if something you say in your language is offensive or potentially needs to be thought about or reflected and then hopefully by doing that you invite your friends to also ask for that same sense of accountability um, which kind of gives you permission and makes it easier to do so but even if they do not actively ask you for permission to hold them accountable to their actions still doing that sort of thing um and I mean also just listening like listening to the people who are most like adversely impacted by the situation which most like it is women it is teenage girls and just understanding what that experience feels like understanding that catcalling isn't a compliment um it actually makes people feel really unsafe when they're alone on the streets um or it makes them feel objectified or it makes them self-conscious about what they're wearing you know understanding that how you know it may be hard for like boys and young men to understand how coercion happens so easily when you've been socialized as a boy which means you've been socialized to have strong boundaries and you've been socialized to be very assertive and you know know what you want and say what you want whereas girls have been socialized to constantly give and to be timid and to be nice and to be empathetic so it's a lot easier for us to be coerced and it's a lot easier for men to um accidentally coerce because of their personality so yeah understanding all of these factors I think is really important you mentioned two great things there the idea of using language as a way to call people out when they're saying sexist remarks or things that aren't appropriate and then as you said they're talking to 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 women about these experiences and really I think empathy is an important word in this whole discussion having empathy putting yourself in the other person's shoes because clearly it's not easy for someone to go through that experience and I know how hard it must have been for you to do so there's also empathy in the in the like initial moment like again if we're talking about this very specific teen on teen 
like sexual assault perpetrated often by accident it's like entitlement just outweighs empathy in that situation someone feels more entitled to their own sexual desires and gratification and that doesn't even mean that the person needs to be kind of like you know kicking and screaming and saying no and they're not feeling empathy of it it just means like if they're clearly not enjoying themselves if there's no focus placed on their pleasure or their sexuality in that moment and you don't think that that is a relevant factor in the way that sex works then that's when it becomes very easily very easy to coerce someone or to sexually assault someone because they're freezing or they're fawning or they're doing anything like that so yeah empathy is absolutely key and the goal is that we are all empathetic and the goal is that our empathy leads to healthy intimacy and positive sexual experiences for everyone, including those early teen years. But what happens in like young teen years, the only discourse people are getting about sex comes from pornography, which is mm. really degrading women in general, mainstream pornography, like the first kind of porn you would access as a young child learning about these things for the first time. It's very violent. It doesn't have a focus on female sexuality. And you almost have to seek out pornography that does do that, which is a massive problem because it's not mainstream. So yeah, I agree. It's all about empathy and it's also all about entitlement. Absolutely. Porn is a massive issue. And as you said, entitlement is an issue. Power balance is there. And I think this is a good segue to talk about your vision and what you've done in consent education space. Cause I think it's really interesting to talk about, you know, if you had a magic wand, and all the problems with consent could be fixed with the snap of a finger. What would your vision for consent education look like, your ideal vision? Reduce the prevalence of sexual assault. We essentially need gender equality in order to do that. I mean, it would, it would be a curriculum where every single Australian or everyone in the world learns about what consent is from a young age, learns about how to execute it, and not just learns about it, gets taught it in a way that is then just natural for them to do. Because the thing is, teaching about, you know, consent and boundaries and respect will only make our society a better place for everyone. It's one where we have open conversations about sex and sexuality in the school system, in the home, in the community, where there's no shame or taboo. It's a curriculum that, like, actively counteracts those really problematic attitudes and opinions and stereotypes we have about gender and what sexuality should look like for the different genders and things like that. It's not just the like PDHP or the PE classes where you need to talk about sex and consent. You know, we have ample opportunities to do so in history, in English, talk about like, you know, power imbalances through history or like reading literature mm-hmm. that explains these sort of things. And so, yeah, it, it's, I guess my ideal is situation where we're not just having open conversations about sex and we're not just kind of, treating everyone equally in their like liberation towards having healthy intimacy but also we're understanding and deconstructing like gendered norms and gender inequality across across all ways we teach that's a really interesting perspective i've never really thought about is not only having mandated consent education but also weaving the type of mindset and way of thinking that we learn in consent education and weaving that in subjects like english and history and just into the fabric of society. I think that's a really interesting perspective. I mean, it's so easy. Like we all studied like Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah. And like the concepts that are touched on in that are like so problematic and no one thinks to talk about sex. Like, 
know, Romeo and Juliet, like, why are we not talking about coercive control in that situation? And like, or like, you know, obsessive relationships and like the fact that like how old they are makes that like illegal and just to, you know, flag that that's what used to happen and now that doesn't happen anymore because it's not okay or it shouldn't happen anymore. And then like, I did atonement for my year 11, spoiler, but it's about a rape and like, we did not talk about it once. There's also no like, trauma-informed way to go about it we were just like in class and then the mm. kind of like last twist of the book is like you find out that that's what happens and that's why she was feeling that way and stuff like that and that's a pretty like confronting experience and there was yeah there was just nothing it was just like oh you can read it but we're not going to talk to you about it and it seems like the common denominator amongst all this is that this sort of issue and conversation has either been politicized or been seen as a bit taboo and not something you talk about. As you said, having conversations can help reduce that stigma and reduce that taboo. So Chanel, let's say that I was back in high school. I'm a year seven student. What might I learn in consent education, for example? How might this better prepare me for healthier relationships in the future? So if you're in year seven, you should already know, ideally, you should already know about concepts of these things. So you should already know about what consent is. You should already know the definition of sexual harassment. You should already know the definition of sexual assault because these things keep younger children safe. The language really empowers them and makes them less vulnerable to older predators. But then you're in year seven, that's usually before people are sexually active, especially at the beginning of year seven. And that's when we start talking about the legalities behind consent and sex. That's when we start saying oral sex is cancer's rape. That's when we start saying that, you know, you have to understand that it's very like that you're someone you know and trust and love can still be the one perpetrating this to you. That's when we start teaching what sexual coercion is in really tangible ways for young people this is when we really emphasize how power imbalances and gender norms come into play in this playing field because people socialize as boys and people socialize as girls are not on an equal playing field in the conversation about consent there is an inherent power imbalance there unless actively counteracted and again those concepts of power and gender should have been like learned from a young age um, leading up into that point and then when you get older, year nine and 10, that's more so how to use consent in real life, because that's when we still need to know, you know, before it's happening, what does positive sex look like? What's the ideal goal? What does it sound like to ask for consent? What does it sound like to give consent? All of these mm-hmm. things, teaching students how to use it. And it's kind of when we shift from the negatives of sex, which our curriculum basically solely focuses on at the moment, you know, STIs, unwanted pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And you shift more towards the positive. Like, what is this meant to look like? That's when we talk about female sexuality. That's when we talk about the fact that there's a massive taboo around the like female sexuality and how to reduce that. You know, as young as year seven is also definitely when we should be learning porn literacy, critical media skills around pornography and being able to like deconstruct a, a visual message that can be accessed as often as you want. We need something counteracting that to tell you that these people are paid actors to tell you that there's no consent shown in the video, all of that sort of stuff. And as you said, what makes this issue more complicated is that if we don't have consent education, that's all that people are seeing pornography and in media or reality TV will clearly have some accurate reflection of a healthy relationships. So if that's all they're getting, they're in this echo chamber. They don't have any other points of reference. Yeah a friend who may have revealed they may have been sexually assaulted what things should we say and this this might even be the beginning of consent education for some people how should we support that friend when they're clearly been through a really 
hard and difficult experience. It's really important to try to stay as kind of calm as you can and ask them like what they want to be done out of the situation. Like it's so common, especially, you know, telling parents about sexual assault for them to be like, oh my God, we're going to the police right now. And you'd be like, no, no, that's not what I want. And then suddenly it's like a whole added stress on top of everything. So just figuring out, you know, be like, do, do you want me to listen? Do you want me to help you book in a therapy session? Do you want, like, what can I do to help you? Do you want to go to the police? Do you want to tell someone else? Like all of these things, like asking questions. Obviously the biggest thing is just like believe them because so often when someone is telling us about a sexual assault, the person who did it to them is someone we also know. You know, if you have mutual friends or you're in the same social group or whatever, you probably know the person who perpetrated it as well. And it's really important to understand that someone doesn't need to be sadistic to be a rapist they literally just need to be entitled entitled to another person's body that's the number one reason people perpetrate sexual assault so understanding that even if this person doesn't fit your stereotypical understanding of a rapist that doesn't mean that they didn't do the thing that's being described and yeah also like understanding that different trauma responses are valid like it's valid to freeze up it's valid to be really nice to the victim all of these things like there's very real reasons why victims do that but yeah I would ultimately say I guess believe them and follow what they want to do in that situation also thank them for telling you that like really hard you know part of your life and also avoid saying anything that's victim blaming like oh, but, you know, you've gotten with them before or avoid saying anything that kind of like upholds really problematic gender norms. Like, for example, like boys definitely do get sexually assaulted. Again, most of the time, I think 97% of the time it's by another Mm. man. But, you know, there can be lots of added shame to the topic of a man being sexually assaulted, especially if he is someone who is to the world heterosexual and it's from a woman because there's these like really dangerous pervading stereotypes about men that they always want sex and you know maybe someone if a boy in his teen years said that something that happened sexually to him wasn't actually what he wanted to do a lot of people might be like oh you're so frigid or like oh you're so blah 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 and that can also be really problematic and like internalize lots of shame and uphold rape culture in itself you know sexual assault for a lot of people is quite a heavy word especially for people that have gone through such a difficult emotionally and physically experience my question to you is some people as you said may not be comfortable sharing with other people that they've been sexually assaulted and they may even be in denial about the fact that they've been sexually assaulted because of the judgment that they might think they'll get from others and how they may be viewed talk to me about your work with operation vests and i guess how we can encourage people to share more openly about their sexual assault experiences basically a way to put in writing what had happened to you have a log of it meaning that if in the future you ever wanted to go back on that you could because a lot of the victim blaming people experience is because it takes so many years to come forward with their story and often there's like a massive correlation between people coming forward with their story of sexual assault when the perpetrator is in a powerful role in society and it's basically because the victim is like well not fuck this I'm speaking up now like I'm not comfortable with you being in that role without any consequences being held whereas what society turns that into is being like oh they only spoke up about that because the person was in a powerful role and they're jealous and they're trying to tear them down and blah 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 blah. didn't actually happen it just happens that powerful people you know 
are likely to attract false allegations of sexual assault and rape, which is, which is really not the case. So how does this help the victims? So what Operation Vest can do is a few things. So you submit a SARO form, and that means that if in 20, 30 years you do want to say that someone sexually assaulted you, it gets rid of that whole victim blaming nature of like, why did you only say this now? Because there's a report previously. It also helps because people can detail things, you know, you remember things closer to the time than you do years later. So you can detail things in your own time in a safe space without having to go to the police station, without having to tell anyone. And then in future, you would have a better memory of the events than if you did wait years to come forward. Also repeat offenders can, you know, be noted in the system, which means that people can contact you, the police can contact you and say, hey, just letting you know that, this person has done this to more than one person, you know, do you want to go forward with this? It also means that if someone comes into a police station to formally report a sexual assault and the police officer che- checks the Operation Vessaro system, they can see that the perpetrator they're naming is potentially a repeat offender and is more likely to be less victim blaming in that moment and give validation to the victim that, you know, it is something that happened, it is something that is repeat behaviour, it is something that should be reported and it is something that they should be held accountable for. So yeah, it's an attempt to reduce victim blaming because there is a massive shame sexual assault, which to be honest, just absolutely like perplexes me every time because I just don't understand how we could possibly still think it's embarrassing to be a victim of sexual assault. Like I just still cannot wrap my head around that. And I think it's a massive testament to how our society treats us that people say like, oh, it's so brave that you spoke up about your sexual assault and blah, blah, blah. It's like, that shouldn't be brave. That should be the default. Like the default. society shouldn't treat people in a way that makes it brave. Mm. Because like it's society's fault that they're making it so hard to talk about it. There's yeah, there's no shame in being a victim of sexual assault, and all the shame gets for some reason sucked away from the perpetrator onto the victim. But we really need to start pushing that back onto the perpetrator. Hundred percent, and consent education makes that so much easier to to hopefully encourage young women to to speak about their stories. New South Wales recently announced affirmative consent laws. What's your opinion on that and how do you feel about it? It's amazing. It's a great step forward because it kind of, it shifts the standard from no means no to only yes means yes, which also means we're no longer sending like a loud signal to society that the default access to a person's body, usually a woman's, is a yes. It is a no unless permission is asked otherwise and consent is given. So yeah, it's a great step forward towards gender equality in New South Wales. It's It's a great thing for victims of sexual assault a great thing as well for any those people who are most at risk of being victims of sexual assault i mainly young women because if that's the case that means we need to teach enthusiastic consent like new south wales will have to have like a whole campaign to update everyone on the new laws including education through schools and that means that suddenly enthusiastic consent is being taught at schools because it is now the law whereas before it wasn't the law once people are in the courtroom it's too late and the criminal justice system is still a really stressful place for young people to be and often not a good place for young men to be sent to either. It's also, you know, the criminal justice system also adversely affects marginalised groups. It's, so I also think we still need even more alternative reporting options. We need an Australia-wide operation best so that people can submit these things and they can talk into state and it needs to have artificial intelligence and all this stuff. We also, I think we need restorative justice options. And I say options because the victim needs to choose what they want. Where can people go to learn more about your work and support the causes? 
can go to teachersconsent.com to sign the petition, to submit a testimony, to read the testimonies of um, the amazing thousands of people who submitted. Um, you can go to at teachersconsent on Instagram, which posts aims to post like holistic education content in a really accessible way um, as often as we can. Chanel Consoles, thank you so much for joining me on The Passion Effect to talk about what I think and what we should all think is a really important issue. And I'm really excited about the work that you're doing in, in mandating this consent education across Australia. And I wish you all the best with everything and no doubt we'll be watching closely. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Chanel Contos' work to help mandate consent education and reduce sexual assault is truly incredible. Here are my three key takeaways from today's episode. Number one, education is key. As you heard from Chanel, mandating consent education could go a long way towards reducing cases of sexual assault, especially against women. Understanding what sexual assault is and how to apply consent is incredibly important for healthy relationships. It's also important to note that things such as pornography and reality TV shows are not an accurate reflection of what a normal relationship looks like. It's important that we have consent education to counteract some of these misconceptions we have around consent to create healthy relationships with others. Number two, how to support victims of sexual assault. As Chanel mentioned, it's easy for us to feel angry about our friend's situation and feel like we need to do something on behalf of our friend. Remember, the focus when trying to help our friend should be on asking your friend how they want to receive help. Maybe your friend doesn't want you to tell anyone about the incident. Maybe your friend would prefer you to book in a therapy session. Asking questions such as how can I best support you in this situation is a good step to help support your friend. Number three, keeping yourself accountable. As Chanel mentioned, in order to change society expectations around consent and taboo around sexual assault, start by changing the language we use at an individual level when talking about consent and sexual assault. This means speaking towards different genders in a way that is respectful and doesn't degrade the other person. It's important to understand that consent must be freely given without force, coercion or manipulation. And finally, consent can be revoked at any time during a sexual encounter. If you haven't already, make sure you're following The Passion Effect on Instagram at The Passion Effect Podcast and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify. If you found this episode valuable, share this episode with friends and family and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. To support Chanel's work, head over to Instagram at teachusconsent. I'm your host, Jack Pittman, and until next time, keep following your passions.